Hey everybody, Nate Clark here. I'm the pastor of Oasis Church here in Richmond, Virginia. We pray that this podcast is helpful and encouraging to you in your life. Here's today's message. But hey, you know what's what I love about Oasis is it really feels like a genuine church that loves each other. We just prayed for Chris together. Um, and I just see the Church of Acts doing that and coming together and, and loving on one another and believing God to heal and, and believing God to do something powerful within the community. So I love Oasis. And you have some of the best pastors in the world, Pastors Nate and Anna. And so I, I think it would be only fitting to give them honor for them being here. So the Bible says that pastors are a gift to the church, right? So the church exists even without pastors, right? So if, if pastors are a gift to the church, then we should treat them like a gift. We should, we should take full, um, advantage is a bad word, um, because that sounds really terrible. But we should take full, like, hey, everything that they have to offer, right, we should take it and what they've given us, and we should apply it. Does that make sense? And so uh, God's word will not return void to us, and so everything that he speaks to us has meaning, has depth, and has application for every day of our life. What's unique about God's word is this, is we're all from different walks of life, right? Would you agree to that? Okay, so we're on the same page. Not everybody comes from the same house. Not everybody comes from the same place. Like, we're all different. Yet God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and it remains forever. But his word is so unique and it's so beautiful and so deep that when it's spoken and when it's read to everybody in here from every different walk of life, it will speak something different to each and every one of you. Because it knows, God knows exactly where you're at, and so he wants to speak directly to where you're at today. Have you ever read something five years ago in the Bible, and then you read it again today, and you're like, whoa. That hits me completely different. His word is eternal, yet it's for today. It's beautiful. Um, This is 4th of July weekend, so happy birthday, America. Woohoo! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, I think it's fitting that as we walk into this new season of life, new day, right? God's mercies are made new every day. Joy comes in the morning. As we walk into this new season, I think it's vitally important when we take God's word, Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, about being salt and light in the earth for what it means today. Salt and light. Have you ever wondered, like, what does that really mean, salt and light? Jesus tells us that you're not going to be, like, you have a potential to be salt and light. He tells us that you are salt and light. As followers of me, you are salt and light in this world. Okay, so if I don't, if there's not a potential and if there's not a, you know, I'm going to get there, I am it today, what does that mean? So different theologians have gone through it and said, okay, what does salt look like? Um, so, some of the theologians said, well, salt represents, because uh, it's white, it represents the purity of the church, right? Like the purity, like that's what it means. Like, no, that's, that's not what it means. Some say that the salt is to add flavor to the world, right? 
add flavor to the world, which is odd because that's kind of contrary to what Jesus says, right? A friend of the world is not a friend of mine, right? Another one is uh, that salt is to add thirst for Christ. Okay. Some of the, I, I don't get how they're theologians on this. You guys can laugh, it's okay. But I think when Jesus was speaking, especially at that time, the disciples understood. Because in that time, it's hard to understand in today's modern context of the word salt. But salt was super valuable back then. Super, super valuable. Like even some of the Roman uh, soldiers' wages were given in salt. That would prove that, like, hey, like, hey, instead of getting a check this week, you're going to get two bags of salt. Woohoo! I needed that salt. They understood that salt was to preserve, to stop decay. And so we as Christians are to stop the moral decay of this sinful world. And the power of sin in our life is to be stopped because of the salt. We're to preserve what God has given us and to preserve it. And then we're to be light. And I'll talk about light more in just a second. But what's unique here is in Matthew 5.13, Jesus gives us a warning. He says, if salt loses its taste, how would saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trodden underfoot by men. Jesus did not say that we can lose our salvation. He said that we can lose our saltiness. When salt is contaminated, it becomes corrosive and poisonous. Did you know that they also use salt to stop infection on a wound? Spread of infection, disease. Like, you see all the imagery here. Contaminated salt cannot even be used for fertilizer on the field, so it has to be thrown out on the road. So if we've allowed disobedience, carelessness, and indifference to rule in our lives, we've become contaminated salt and have lost our saltiness. We need to confess our sin and let the Lord restore us to the purpose for which we were called. Now, today, how many of you guys are excited to hear an encouraging, awesome message right before the 4th of July tomorrow? Come on, y'all excited? It's going to be intense. Matthew 5, verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, right now, I pray that as I speak, it would not be my words, Lord, but it would be straight from you, that you deal with the hearts of man today. Lord, that we would be pure in your eyes. Lord, that you would remove contaminants, remove all the impurities, Lord, that we would be poor in spirit so we have the kingdom of heaven. We trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So before the Lord God made man upon the earth, he first prepared for him a world of useful and pleasant things for sustenance and delight. So when God created things, he created them for the man to enjoy. Right? So he created all these things and he made it subservient to the man. And so the man was able to enjoy the things in which God had given him. 
But then sin entered the world, and after sin entered the world, we no longer just had the Lord on our throne of our heart. We started taking these things, and these things started competing for first place on the throne of our heart. And we began to possess things in our heart. So my hope for you today is that just as the title of today's message, write it down, is called Possessing Nothing. May I stand before God one day and say, I've possessed nothing, Lord. Nothing but you. Our woes began when God was forced out of his central shrine and things were allowed to enter. Within the human heart, things have taken over. Men have now, by no nature, have no peace within their hearts. For God is crowned there no longer, but there is a mortal dusk, stubborn and aggressive things fight amongst themselves for first place on the throne. So this isn't just a mere metaphor, but it's a very real, accurate analysis of our spiritual trouble. It's, it's in our human nature to possess, isn't it? So I have three kids. I have a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a one-and-a-half-year-old. My two older ones are boys, and, and they're like two years apart, and so they're best friends, but they're also like the worst enemies at the same time. And it's just hilarious to me because they'll fight all day long, and then like when one's taking a nap, they're like, when is Leon going to wake up? I, yeah. They just want to hang out. But it started from what I feel like right out of the womb, this sense of me and mine, right? So like the boys are always like, that's my Spider-Man toy. That's my Batman. That's my shirt. That's mine, 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 mine. And they're always me, mine, mine, me, blah, blah, blah. And it's constant. Have you experienced that before? You've seen that? If not, go to Oasis Kids, and you'll see just to say, like, whoa, that's mine. And they'll fight over it. They'll go for it. And possessing, it means something to us to have stuff. Last time I was here in April, I spoke on how all sin comes down to one thing, selfishness. Being selfish. Even in the garden, when uh, Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, it was based off a of selfishness that they sinned. When Lucifer fell from heaven, it was based off a of selfishness that he thought, I'm better than God. Me, mine, I, self, self. And Jesus actually describes it. He says this, he calls it life and self, or what we call the self-life. Me and mine look innocent, right? It looks innocent, but it's a very verbal symptom of our deep disease. This infection contaminates our ability to be salt. It does. The root of all sin is self. I mean, you think about it. Jealousy, envy, gossip, slander, murder, bitterness, hate, offense, unforgiveness, lying, lust, all comes down to selfishness. And Jesus says, he says, if any of you are to follow me, they are to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. To die daily. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your mind. In Luke chapter 10, he says, and all your strength. I don't know about you, but I know for me, I can, I can stand up here with the lie detector test, and I can tell you, I love the Lord with some of my heart. I love the Lord with 
some of my mind. I love the Lord with a little bit of my strength. Right? I'm sure you could say the same. Because if you're going to tell me that you love him with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, I'd be like, ah, really? Let's take an inventory of your life real quick. But he commands us, that is the greatest commandment, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. All. Not a little bit, not most of it, but all of it. What would that look like if we love the Lord with all of our strength? With all of our strength. Well, hey, I serve on Sundays. Okay, so just a little bit of your strength. No, y'all don't know. I, I pick up them, them cones outside, and they're heavy. I move chairs, man. They, that takes a lot of my strength to do that. I love the Lord with all of my mind. Really, all your thoughts are about the Lord and glorifying him? I once heard a preacher say, hey, if we could plug in like a projector into your mind and project all your thoughts on the screen right now in front of everybody, you'd be like, ah, I'm out. Right? Because you'd be like, whoa. So though we're not there, our pursuit is to get there, right? The process of sanctification is, all right, my flesh is weak. My heart is willing, but my flesh is weak. And so it's a constant state of repentance. It's a constant state of putting him up on the throne of our heart and removing the things out of our heart. The blessed ones, right? We just read, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The blessed ones who possess the kingdom are the ones who have repudiated every external thing and have uprooted everything in their hearts that has any sense of possessing. These are the poor in spirit. They are not slaves to the tyranny of things. They have broke the yoke of the oppressor and they didn't do it by fighting, rather by surrendering. Let's take a look at Abraham and Isaac. You've been in church a while, you understand and know this, this little scene that we're about to see. It's about 18 verses and we're gonna read it And then I want to kind of break it down for a minute. Genesis chapter 22, 1 through 8. If you don't have your Bible, I believe we have it on the screen, and I will scoot over while we read it. After all these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. I do want to take note of that first little bit. I told the team this morning. And it says, after all these things, if you read Genesis 18, 19, 20, and 21, you can see that Abraham was able to see the faithfulness of God already. He was able to see God do some amazing things. Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Like, whoa, dude, that's crazy. God's powerful. Anybody who turned and looked back as Sodom and Gomorrah was being destroyed turned to a pillar of salt, Could you imagine seeing Lot's wife just as a pillar of salt? I'd be like, that put the fear of God in you real quick. So after all these things, God tested Abraham. So this shows me a principle of God. He shows you he's faithful before he tests you. How many of you have seen God's faithfulness? Seen him do something amazing? Heard stories of his awesomeness? Well, guess what? If you haven't been tested yet, 
you will. After all these things, God tested Abraham. He said, Abraham. And Abraham replied, here I am. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain. I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son. I mean, can you imagine being in that situation? Imagine being Isaac for a second. Years you've sacrificed and you've done these offerings to the Lord, and so there was like a routine already of what you're going to do. And so as they're walking up the mountain, Isaac's like, wait a second. Where, what are we, what are we about to, what are we, what are we doing here? And the heart of the father, just walking in front of him. Can you imagine just walking in front of him? And when Isaac says, father, you know, Abraham's like, yes, son. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. They reached the place where God had told them about, and Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Here's a side note to something that just hit me real quick. At this time, Abraham was an old man, and Isaac, probably in his 30s, this old man bound Isaac, so you can almost see the humility and obedience in Isaac being bound by this old man, because obviously the strength of Isaac would have been able to overtake Abraham, but he followed in obedience. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar and on top of the wood, Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. He replied, do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now that I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket, a little bush, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And on this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your own son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities and of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you've obeyed me. Now, I've already explained that Abraham was old when Isaac was born, old enough indeed to be even his grandfather. That's how old he was. 
So you can imagine this promise that Abraham had received in the form of a little baby. Can you, can you picture with me real quick? Abraham, old in stature and, and awkwardly holding his son Isaac for the first time, looking into his eyes and saying, this is the promise fulfilled. God promised me I would have a son and here he is. And being locked, his eyes locked on his, this desire, this everything he had wished, the fulfillment of the messianic promise, the, the, it, everything is coming to fruition inside of this the baby. And at, from that moment to as Isaac grew over the years and dad's teaching him things, how to make a fire, right? Like you could just see it. He's growing in this connection and intimacy with his son. The promise. This is my son that God promised me. And then all of a sudden, at some point in time, Isaac became the center of Abraham's heart. Isaac went on the throne of Abraham's heart. Abraham became a love slave to this boy, this promise, this creation, the gift. He decided to start worshiping the gift rather than the giver. And it was right then that God stepped in to save both the father and son from the consequences of an uncleansed love. God let the suffering old man go through with it all the way up to the point where he was about to kill the boy and then forbade him to lay a hand on the boy. And in effect, Lord is telling Abraham, all right, Abraham, I never intended that you should actually slay the boy. I only wanted to remove him from the temple of your heart that I might reign unchallenged there. I wanted to correct the perversion that existed in your love. Now you may have the boy, sound and well. Take him and go back to your tent. Now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your own son, your only son from me. The old man of God lifted his head to respond to the voice. And there stood a man, now strong, pure, grand, a man marked out by the Lord for a special treatment, a friend and favorite of the Most High God. Now he was a man wholly surrendered, utterly obedient, and a man who possessed nothing. He had concentrated all of his person into his dear son, and God had taken it from him. See, God had, could have done it um, out of the beginning of Abraham's life and, or maybe the beginning of Isaac's life. He could have done it gradually, right? Like, if you guys ever fasted before and you're like, okay, I'm going to do a fast or maybe let's just say a diet. Like, okay, I'm going to just not do sugar on Tuesdays, all right? I'll see how I do on Tuesday and then uh, I'll see if I want to do it Wednesday. Probably not, but we'll see. 
Or if you fast, say, okay, I'm going to do the Daniel fast for 21 days. Um, but you know what? I'm going to start with just, you know, I'll, I'll maybe Monday or Tuesday I'll do this, and I'll gradually work my way up. See, God doesn't work that way. He doesn't gradually take things out of your life that is in competition with him. He takes the knife and he goes straight for it. And it's bloody and it's messy and it hurts. But the reward is more valuable than anything you can imagine. He's the reward and he will not be rivaled. No matter what. You and I do the cardinal sin over and over and over. And we place things on the same throne that God should be on. We take the gift that he's given us. And we put it in the place of the giver. Romans chapter 12 says, they started worshiping the created things rather than the creator. So God handed them over to their sin. Oasis Church, let's not be like Romans chapter 1. And start worshiping the created things rather than our creator. And I feel like I can speak from this place um, because of what I've walked through. And I believe all of us will walk through that same point of testing. I, would pa- I was pastoring for years and I was leading people to Jesus and I just saw the fruit of ministry happening and it was awesome. I was ready to plant a church. I was with uh, Pastor Nate in 2017 and we went to a conference together, and we were in the same hotel room. We are just dreaming about what our churches could be, and we are planning, like, October of, of 2019. This is when we're going to do it, man. We're going we're gonna to plant our churches at the same time. All right, woohoo, yeah. And my son was due in November of 2017, my second son. And uh, I just remember being full of passion ready to lead thousands of people to Jesus, doing whatever it took. Church plant life, baby. It's a culture. Here we go. And then God brought me to a place of testing. I'd been tested before in in little things, like finances. By the way, that's a little thing. Unless you're dealing with multi-millions of dollars. And you're like, "Ah, okay, that's a bigger thing. No, it's a little thing when compared to life. My son was born. Many of you know the story. I've shared it before, but I think it's vital that you understand this. He was born with three heart defects that we had no idea about. Um, We were about to take him home from the hospital, and his body turned blue. They rushed him in an ambulance to Lubbock, Texas, and in Lubbock, they told um, me and my wife, that they couldn't do anything for him, but he's got about six more days to live um, off the medicine they can do for him. Um, and there was another possibility if they could fly him to Houston, there's a possibility they could save his life. And so we prayed, and we're like, yes, please, please. So they called the kangaroo crew. They had an opening at that time to come get him. It was amazing how God worked out all the details. But on the way over, he had a stroke, and... Um, so they weren't able to operate on him right away. So they had to do some different things to kind of keep his body alive. And so for 21 days, we were in the hospital awaiting surgery. 
Um, every single day, every night, they couldn't tell us if he was going to make it or not. Um, my wife, uh, most women are nurturers by nature, and so she could sit in the room with baby boy, baby Leon, and just be there with him. And men, I'm a fixer. Like, I got to fix this thing, man. And all these wires and everything are hooked up to him, and he's breathing 100 miles an hour because his lungs keep filling up with fluid. And, and you're sitting there watching this boy suffer, and there's nothing that I could do about it. Nothing. And so I got up, and I took a walk in the hospital, just walked around. And I remember coming to this place where I stood right, in, right over this little overpass thing. It's where the hospitals connect to each other, different buildings. But you can see the trains and stuff going over you or under you and cars and everything. I just remember that in front of everybody, I don't even know who was around me, but I just remember tears in my eyes. Like I was just out loud. I said it out loud. I didn't just say it in here. I said it out loud. I said, God, whether Leon lives or dies, you will receive all the glory from this. And if that means you take him from me, take him. And that was really hard. Not gonna lie to you. It was really hard. Um, and what's unique is in my wife's journal, I don't know if it was the same time or not, but it was roughly the same time. She was praying over Leon. She had her hand on his head. And she had tears in her eyes, and she said, God, I love Leon. I love him so much. But I love you more. I love you more. And I think that's where, in that moment, we had our first big testing of removing something from the throne of our hearts. See, with my first son, like, anytime he was sick, I'd freak out. Like, oh, my gosh, we got to do, he's, like, he's coughing. For those of you who have kids, like, they cough, like, every three days. You're like, no, snot. Um, and I would freak out all the time. And now my second son, like, he's literally dying. And God removed him from the throne of my heart and brought me back to the place of being on my knees before Jesus. And many of you know, but like I said earlier, he is, uh, he's doing well. He's four, he'll be five soon. They call him a miracle baby. God came through and it was awesome. And when I see my son today, I see God's faithfulness. But let me, let me tell you this, it's not because of God allowing him to live, because we often do that, right? We see God's hand and what he can do for us rather than his face and who he is. We make that mistake often. But when I see my son, I see God's faithfulness, not because he's alive, but because God is good regardless of the outcome I want. And when I see my son, I remember, hey, who's on the throne of my heart? God? or people, or things. If the worship team could come back. Oh, you're already here, dude. You're like a magician. Whoa! I see, I've said that Abraham possessed nothing, yet 
Was he not rich? Abraham was one of the world's wealthiest men. He had land. He had all the animals, sheep, camels, goats. Get you a goat. Chickens. He had everything. Gold, silver. Yet he possessed nothing. And when people would look at him, they'd say, oh, man, Abraham's rich. But can you imagine Abraham with a little smile on his face? Knowing the truth, he couldn't really explain it. He just knew that he owned nothing. That his real treasures were inward and external. So Pastor Casey, like how, what does this mean for me today? Well, the only way to get through this is through the way of renunciation. If we would indeed know God and growing intimacy, we must go this way of renunciation. Each one of us will be brought one by one to the testing place. Yes, even you. You may never know when you're about to get there, but when you do get there, there will not be a dozen choices for you. There'll be one and all alternative. And our whole future will be conditioned by the choice that we make. See, you can choose to surrender what's on the throne of your heart or you can have God remove it. Either way, God will not be rivaled. Philippians 3, 7 through 9 says, Whatever gain I had, whatever I had, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish or trash. I count everything that he's given me, nothing but trash, like you can be, it's nothing. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. So my questions for you today is what or who is on the throne of your heart? Is God there without rival? Will you choose to surrender today? Knowing it will be painful, are you willing to surrender? We can't be proper salt and light to our families if we're contaminated. The Apostle Paul says this of all the saints, says, God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. This lighting is a separating work. When the light of God comes, it separates a man from those around him who are his darkness. It does not take him away from his surroundings or shut him up in a monastery, but the separation is complete. For to set a division between a candle and darkness, all that's needed is a fire. The tiniest spark will, by its very existence, be distinguished from the darkness. No man shall ever be able to mingle the two. You cannot have light mixed with darkness. It makes no sense. They are a dichotomy. It's either light or dark. They're forever distinct. To the end of time, there shall be two seeds. Everybody say, two seeds. The heirs of light and the children of darkness. And these two cannot become one. If the Holy Spirit is drawing you right now, I just want to tell you, the Lord... He deserves to be at the center of our heart. He's worthy of it all. He's worthy of 
our suffering. He's worthy of us losing the things of this world. He's worthy of it all. Because in the end, when we stand before him, who is our reward? He is. Heaven's not our reward. He is. And if you don't know Jesus in here, let's just all bow our heads and close our eyes. If you have not made the conscious decision to follow Christ and you feel the tugging of the Holy Spirit right now, I'm going to just ask that we all pray this prayer together. And then I'm going to have another prayer after that. Say, dear Jesus, it's me. I'm sorry. And I'm so tired of running. I need you. I admit that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of you. Please forgive me as I trust you and I make you the boss and Lord of my life. Today and for the rest of eternity, I serve you as Christ my Lord. In Jesus' name. And for those of us in here who are followers of Christ, man, for revival to happen, for revival to be here at Oasis, for revival to take place in this country, man, we got to remove the impurities of our heart, right? We need to remove the things off the throne of our heart that do not belong there, who are rivaling, rival, I can't even say the word, but they're rivaling, rivaling the Lord. And so I want to pray a prayer over you, and I want you to kind of agree to this prayer. A.W. Tozer wrote this prayer, and it is absolutely powerful. So you don't have to repeat after me, but I would just ask as we get into this mode of prayer and this heart posture of prayer that you would agree to this prayer unto the Lord. Let's bow our heads, and let's get with Jesus. Father, I want to know you but my cowardly heart fears to give up its toys. I cannot part with them without inward bleeding, and I do not try to hide from you the terror of the parting. I come trembling, but I do come. Please root from my heart all those things which I have cherished for so long and which have become a very part of my living self so that you may enter and dwell there without rival. Then shall you make the place of your feet glorious. Then shall my heart have no need of the sun to shine in it. For you yourself will be the light of it. And there shall be no night there. God, I pray over an oasis that the people here would have a desire to know you and have a desire to, to run after you with all their heart. That they would give everything unto you truly that they would possess nothing in their heart but you king of the universe the creator of all things that you would reign in their heart forever as the one true and holy king it's in Jesus name we pray amen thanks so much for tuning in to this week's podcast 
Hey, if this content was helpful and encouraging to you, you could help us out by leaving a review or sharing it with the people in your life. I know it would bless them. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.